when you cling to your dogma, then right or wrong becomes a real thing and you can never be wrong. Like the fear of not being right fuels that dogma. It gives it longer life than it should ever have. This is the Live Into Your Brilliance podcast with me, Al Kenny, and my partner in crime, Mark Billows Bilby. This is the place where we shine a light on the brilliance and the truth of the human condition, whilst blow up the illusions that get in our way. So, brother, I have got another question for us for this episode from Matteo Mani. Let's do it. Coaches are taught that there is no real right or wrong. It is mostly a matter of perspectives, opinions, and biases. As a leader, however, the expectation is often different. For example, you're expected to take a principled stance on some core aspects and stick by it. How do you balance, if not reconcile, these two approaches? So my initial insight is, Matteo, I I think you're right. I think from a coaching perspective and, and generally from a life perspective, the higher your level of awareness, the more you realize there is no wrong or right. And certainly as a coach, you know, your job as a coach is not to be a counselor or an arbitrator or a a solution specialist or a, you know, you're not you're not you're not pointing at what's right or what's wrong. I think your your role as a coach is to be a sounding board and is to ask powerful questions and and be a support and point to the way in which we create the experiences we do. And so I think everything is an experiment. And that's why, you know, at its simplest form, there's no right or wrong. There just is. You know, we just do in in the present. And we we operate from a place, hopefully most of us operate from a place. Well, we do actually, whether we realize or not, we operate from a place where we we're basically doing the best we can with what we have. Um, and, and so there is no right or wrong. There's only the experiment of doing, of living, of putting one foot in front of the other. And hopefully in many instances, uh, we learn from taking that step, whether it results in, you know, something egregious or something delightful, it doesn't really matter. We learn from from that step. And sometimes we don't learn in the moment. Sometimes it dawns on us five years later where we, we have an insight. <laughs> um, so that, so that's the, the one part of it. So you're right. The, 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 we, we have this strong uh, concept of, of no wrong or right, just, just life, just experiment. Um, and, and it's what we glean from it. The second part, though, as a leader is, you know, you have to have this principled stance. And I guess the principled stance is, you know, it's what Mavis said. I loved Mavis's analogy of the library. It's you go through life and you have all of these accumulations and you you have these experiences. And some of them are devastating. You know, in Mavis's case, you know, she lost a child which is, you know, is, is heartbreaking. No, no parent should be burying their children. 
but but you have this library of experiences and you know what is what is right in in parentheses and you know what's not right um in that that comes from a place of your divine engineering of just your knowing um but you have all these wonderful experiences and you get to pull down from that library various books and open them to relevant pages that inform that principled view of the world and help you interpret the the reality you're you're creating and and shaping uh and so i think i think i don't think there's a dilemma here and and maybe mateo i'm reading the question incorrectly I don't think there's a dilemma. I think as leaders in particular, and we're all leaders. I mean, let's just say that. We're all leaders, whether you run a team or you don't. Like you're the leader of you. You're the the, the leader of your your own experience on, on on while you're here on this planet. And I don't think there's a dilemma. Um I think there's experimentation and then there's a trust of the knowing. And if you experiment from that place, then you don't need to concern yourself with trying to reconcile a concept of right and wrong with a, a principled approach. That's my insight. Actually, I look, I'm going to step into the space of the dilemma because I agree with you that there's there may not be a dilemma, but yet I can see how easily there's a perceived dilemma. And I think is a coach versus like, and I'm kind of just thinking like if I was in, if we just took the world of work and someone had the title of coach and someone had the title of leader, the coach is probably thinking, well, my job is not to take you anywhere. My job is to help facilitate you having the insight and seeing your own wisdom and uh, such that you become clean and clear on the actions you would like to take in the moment and, and you feel confident in taking them. And yet a leader, in one sense, their job is to take a team or to take a, an organization and lead it in some way from an A to a B. And so there's a, this kind of the dilemma becomes one of, well, there's no right or wrong, like, but there isn't, there's kind of this now, there is a, uh, I'm trying to avoid using the word expectation, but I can't think of a better one. There's almost this expectation on the leader that they have to take people from A to B and how do they do that without kind of living in the idea of right and wrong. And, and that's where I think taking the principal stance kind of comes into it. Um, but the reason why I don't think, so I think it's a perceived dilemma versus an actual dilemma because it's, because the perceived dilemma is no, like I have to choose um, I have to actually choose to believe in the idea of right and wrong because, and then I've got to convince everybody else that I'm right or wrong. And that's where I think the words take a principled stance. And I think when it looks like a principled stance, then the dilemma's there because then you've got to stand by your decision and say, this is right. 
and I'm asking you to follow me because I know I'm right. And if you're in that world now, that to me is where we come on stop. Whereas if we can, as leaders, go, look, there is no objective right or wrong. There's no objective right or wrong. Just as a coach would say to someone, there is no objective right or wrong. You cannot get this wrong. You can only do what feels right to you in the moment, run the experiment and see how it unfolds. And if I'm a leader, I believe that I can have the exact same position and say, hey, folks, there is no right or wrong. We can't get this wrong. We can only do our best and do what we feel is right in the moment and run the experiment and then respond to what shows up from there. And where I think the, um, some of the rub as a leader comes in is that sometimes as a leader, there will be times where you will, will have to say, Look, I believe this is what really feels right to me and I'm making a call and I'm asking you to follow me. And I know as little or as much as you do, but I am asking you to follow me. And other times you're going to be saying, I don't know. And I'm going to ask us to, to collectively put our wisdom on the table and to come to a, to a path that we all kind of feel, yeah, that's what feels right. And doing the dance between those things, I think, is the biggest opportunity. Um, but I can also see why sometimes it's tough. And I think the best leaders, and Mark, you and I have talked about this, like are the ones that really they're, they're in tune with that. Like they have the humility to know that there's, they don't have the answer. They, they're already, whether they know anything to do with like the inside out understanding is, is nothing to do with it actually. The very best leaders just intuitively have a sense of, hey guys, there's no right or wrong. We're all doing our best, but they have certainty in their own wisdom. So like when they have to make the call, it is their certainty in their knowing that breeds certainty in the people that follow them. And it's their certainty in their teams knowing that also breeds that confidence because from time to time, they and actually they probably spend more time in the coach role than they really do in the leader role. So for the majority of the time, they're sitting back going, you guys already know, you know what, what feels right to you and I trust you to follow your knowing. And then like it becomes magical because now you've got, the perceived dilemma disappears and everyone, like that's what I think creates psychological safety in the workplace is the ultimate letting go of the idea of right or wrong. It's like, guys, there's no right or wrong and we're all okay and we're all safe here and we're going to run experiments. And actually I put out a video of this this morning. Um, we're going to run experiments and we're going to do our best. And at some point we're going to absolutely stink the house out. Like at some point we're going to do something and on the face of it, we're going to be like, that is an absolute stinker. Like it, it went horribly wrong. It's like, you know, it's like doing a fart in the elevator. Everyone's like, oh my God, that stinks. Who did that? And you'd be proudly going, that was me. I was doing my best, but I got it totally wrong. Like it just went wrong. It stank. And it's like, but that's okay because I was doing my best. And it's, but when you open yourself up to that, 
which is what I see as the huge possibility. When you open yourself up to the idea of no right and wrong, and and that no matter how hard you try, some things are going to go spectacularly well, to your point, and other things are going to stink like a hot turd, that it's like you can be good with both because your starting point and your finishing point is the same, which is, well, there's no right or wrong, and I do my best. And wherever I end up, I just re-come back into that and go, there's no right or wrong, but there's what's going to feel right to me in the moment or feel right to us, and let's go again. And I think that's the, that, that to me, in a very long-winded way, is kind of, it can be almost that simple. It, well, I, I guess the challenge is, you know, if, if you're, you know, we've spoken about this concept of the fist and the open hand, and, and if you're in that sort of leader B mindset, you know, and your 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 mind is closed. This this organ that you use to to function in the same way you do your lungs and your heart and your and your kidneys. Um, if that is closed off, it is very difficult to be vulnerable enough to admit that you stank the place out and it's okay and. We need to move, to, you know, to a place where we can take the learnings and then go experiment again. But if you're if you're operating from the open hand perspective, then that's a lot easier. And I think I think for a lot of leaders that I've observed, they they get drawn into that closed fists mindset uh, through whatever circumstance. And it's very difficult for them to emerge from that. And that's where the real dilemma comes in, I think, because they can't be wrong. There's fear driving that. When you close your fist, the immediate thought that popped into my head is, that's what it feels like to think that you're right. I'm right. I am right. And you're ready for an argument. You're ready to fight for the idea that you're right. And, you know, you and I have both sat in the leadership seat. And so I have nothing but empathy and compassion for a, for any leaders because I 100% can recognize this and I can go back there because business in particular is set up and the conditioning is that that's your job. Your job is to get it right. And when you go into interviews, you know, you're there trying to convince people that you know. And, you know, when I left Mindcast, uh, we were both where I remember going into some meetings with people like, can you tell us the playbook? I was like, well, yeah, I can kind of give you a playbook, but it's going to sound like every other playbook you've ever heard because it's, it's pretty generic. Um, because if there was a playbook, if there was a right way, um, then probably most businesses wouldn't be as valuable as they are because it's actually, you know, what makes the difference is the open hand. It's businesses and, and you and I have been part of teams and we recognize, I think, when we were like this and when we were like this, but when teams of people are coming from the open hand, 
That's when they produce magic. And then someone goes, how did you guys do that? And they're like, we don't really freaking know how we did it, but it felt amazing. We were all super connected. We screwed up a bunch of stuff, but we seemed to get more right than wrong. And when we got it wrong, we didn't, we didn't dwell on it. We just moved. And it's like, were the conditions in your favor? Not always, actually. Sometimes the conditions, when the conditions were at the toughest, we were more like this than ever before. Sometimes when the conditions were in our favor, we were more like this because we became like, how do we make sure that we don't screw this up? Like, how do we get this right moving forward? And it's starting to tap into, as you say, like, now all you got to think about is when we are connected to the, there's no right or wrong, we're doing our best and we're present and open-minded and open-hearted together or individually, that is when you are most open. That's when you are, have opened up the aperture of the connection between you and the universe, as I would see it, and put yourself in the, in the biggest window of possibility. And that's when moments of inspiration hit you individually or collectively, and you act on them. And and the only thing that really I don't think has been kind of connected up in one sense from a corporate corporate organizational aspect is the simplicity of that. Because what actually gets codified, people try and codify the action. They're like, oh, that was the thing we did. We wrote that playbook. It must be the playbook. And you're like, no, it was the place that the idea of the playbook came from. That's what you should put your attention on, not the action. Don't try and repeat the action because then you're stuck in the idea that, that something is fixed and it's not. It's like, oh, that was the right way. And it's like, no, that was the perfect thing in that moment. Now forget about it. And when it, you know, when it comes to its natural end, which things do, you'll be like, oh, that's not working anymore. That's okay. Let's, let's come back. Like, okay, what, what, what looks great now? I, I had a really interesting insight last night. I was at an event and somebody said, the problem is we've confused schools with education or education with schools. We've confused healthcare with hospitals. We've confused security with police forces. And the, the very outcomes we're trying to drive have become synonymous with the, the institutions we built and the, uh, the, the dogma that, that we've accumulated along the way about those institutions. And I think it's the same with leadership. I think, you know, you know, everybody talks about, you know, at one stage, command and control. That was the dogma. And, and that just, and, and people would argue, oh, well, that served us very well in the, you know, in the eighties, but it, it's, it's no longer applicable and people are rallying against it now. And I, and I think it's the same thing with leadership is, is if you become so attached to the playbook or to the org design or the structure or the traditional structure or the, um, you know the 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 standard operating procedures, and you don't you don't approach it with that 
wonderfully agile, open mindset that says, I don't really know. I mean, this is how we did it previously, um, but I think we need to iterate that. Let's, let's experiment. Let's play around. Let's see what works. Let's fart in the elevator a couple of times. Um, and then, and then we'll figure it out. And I think if you can remain in that mindset and have that fearlessness and vulnerability, then you, you remain open to that magic and that insight. I think to your point, when you, when you cling to your dogma, then right or wrong becomes a real thing. And to your point, you can never be wrong. Like the fear of not being right fuels that dogma for, it gives it longer life than it should ever have. You know, the word you use, the word attached in there, and I just thought, what a great word. Like, it's like, don't get attached. If, if someone was to say, oh, well, what you, what, what's one of the things? Be like, watch for the feeling of being attached, you know, to, to anything. And, and it sounds that, you know, it's like, it's, it's as hard as it is simple to say, really, because, because, you know, like I get it as well. Like we all want, we, we all kind of would love it to be just as predictable as, oh, I found it now. This, this will just work forever, right? This, this is it. It's like, sorry, no, don't get too attached. This team is brilliant right now. This team's going to stay forever like this. No, sorry, don't get too attached. Don't get attached. This is our plan and this plan's got to work, right? Don't be too attached to the plan. It's like you can be all in on anything without being attached to anything or all in on everything without being attached to anything. So it's like, are we all in on this plan? Yeah, we're all in. And are we, compl- are we unattached? That would be the ideal place to be. We can go all in on a leadership model, but be unattached to the idea that it has to work or unattached that it has to stay. And that's, that's hard. And it's hard, particularly, I think, again, coming back to Matteo's question, this is easier, an easier conversation to have in a coaching conversation in some ways than it is in a leadership conversation within a corporate public or private sector organization because within that there's so much of what you pointed to there is so much dogma there is so much conditioned expectations that you know it's a fine balancing act and and um so it's it's sorry going because you're laughing so i know there's something bubbling up there no no i I just had this insight. I said, it was like, it's so funny because leaders in certain organizations who don't have this level of awareness, who don't operate from that, that kind of open mindset perspective. I think they, they do cling to their dogma to the point where they have to go get a coach. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, or, or or members of their team are like, uh, I think what what's going to sort you out is a coach, because uh, you know you you you're not you're not reaching your potential or what well, I don't know whatever. 
And so they go and get a coach and then the coach is like, well, there's no right or wrong. So, so you're creating this experience. Um, and, and is that dogma really serving you well? Um, probably not. And so it it just made me laugh because if there was just a course for all employees that said, Hey, if you show up like this, like the magic is going to happen. Yes we're going to get it wrong. But the the wonderful thing is that we're experimenting. We're, we're being fearless and we're taking the learnings. And because of our innate sense of knowing and our divine engineering, we, we, it will always be a principled approach. And, and sometimes, you know, it's, we'll sink into this and it'll be unprincipled and we'll, we'll, but we can recognize it and then we can correct it and we can, we can go at it again. That would be such a wonderful way to induct people into, you know, into sort of the corporate world, um, apart from, you know, just how you function in your, your everyday anyway. But um, it's just, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. But you know, and you know what? Like, I feel really optimistic that that is afoot. Uh, like, Clients that I've got, clients that you have, there are some incredible uh, founders of businesses that are so awake and are and are seeing that the ultimate route to success is exactly what we're talking about, and they're wrestling with it and they're trying to figure out, but they are committed to to a better world. I genuinely believe that they're committed to a better world, not just a better business. Like they are in service of a better world. And, and people like that massively inspire me because I just think it's like, it's, you know, it is, our future is dependent on like this, on the next generation. It's always been the case to come through and to innovate and to see the possibilities beyond what is. And uh, so I'm very optimistic on that. There's something that like my final point, I think for today, and it links to what you said about those, you know, those leaders, like there are some massive narcissists out there and um, leaders that are, have got the blinkers on so firmly that there's probably no coach in the world that would, um, would puncture through their, their, their kind of blinkers that they are firmly attached to that, to themselves, you know, and that's okay. Like, that's fine. Cause like you just have to live in acceptance. They are just doing the best they can with what they have. Yeah. Based on what they see to be true. The bit that I wanted to just finish off on was you said something about, um, you know, we're all leaders and I think it's, it's a, it's too big a point to not just explode out a little bit further because we are all leaders and self-leadership for me is the first and foremost, like the most important thing for us to recognize. And because we've been talking about leaders and I think it's predominantly felt like in the context of people that are, are in leadership positions and they are doing the best based on what they see to be true. And sometimes you know, you know, I, I experience people, I'm sure, and I've been one, no doubt, 
where people like to point the finger at the leader and say, well, I can't because they are this or they are that. And I didn't agree with this. And that's why we're failing. And I'm just going to call that for what it is, which is an abdication of self-leadership. You know, like if, you know, Peter Bauer was our CEO and leader at Mimecast, you know, nothing but respect for Peter. And my point though is like, I chose to go and work for Peter. Like he chose to offer me a job, which is great, but it was my, my decision. It was your decision. And like, did I always agree with everything that he might have said? No. But I chose to be like, even if I disagree, that you know, you choose, and you're like, yep, okay. Like if he said we're going over that hill, and it's like, well, I'm not sure I would go over that hill, but I'm choosing to follow you. I'm choosing, I'm leading myself in choosing to follow you. And similarly, then you can make anyone can make a decision to say, hey, I don't have to judge you in order to validate my decision to lead myself someplace else. It's like, you know, I've had someone who said, well, and they were in that. And I said, well, you know, I said, you didn't, they said, I had to do it. I said, well, you didn't have to do it. Well, if I didn't do it, like I could have either lost my job or I would have had to resign. I was like, yeah, well, maybe. But that just still proves the point. Like, you don't have to do it. And sometimes, like, self-leadership requires courage in that to live without fear, knowing you can't get it wrong. And it's totally okay to, be, to say to anyone, hey, I'm not following you. And that's not because you're wrong and I'm right. It's just because I see something different. And I'm choosing to follow that. Well, we're seeing that happen now. I mean, you know, uh, apart from the great resignation, just just the shift. And uh, I agree with you. I think there's reasons to be optimistic. I mean, people are, are voting with their feet, and 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 certainly the next generation. You know, they're choosing to work for organisations that that align with their values and their principled view, their sense of knowing. Um. And and they they exercising free will in a way that I think hasn't necessarily been exercised previously, uh, which is really interesting. And and it, and it and I think it's a really healthy thing because it places the onus on leadership to to identify and have that level of awareness in order to win the war on talent and to drive remarkable results. And I think it's a very healthy dynamic. It makes, it makes command and control people, uh, uh, you know, um, champions of that dogma, very uncomfortable and they can't quite understand. And I mean, you and I have experienced this, like when we, when we've been in on teams where we've had that very agile approach, we can, we we have and did make on paper seemingly mediocre assemblies of people do remarkable things um and and i don't mean that to be disingenuous to some of the people who were on our teams but like the the leadership would point it and go hey you you know you really should upgrade and you should um find like you know big hitters and the truth is that's nonsense. You know, if you, I, I would choose an, 
I would choose an awake, aware leader who is willing to be vulnerable, but experiment fearlessly over a big hitter who ships with a dogma any day of the week. And I don't even know what a big hitter looks like because I've never met one. Yeah, no, like I agree with everything you said there. The only thing I would probably, I literally, like at the last point in particular, I'm like totally with you. And, and I'd love to go back and whisper that in my ear 15 years ago. So it was like, so I could short circuit that learning. The only thing that I, the only thing I kind of maybe slightly contentious is, is around the great resignation. I think it is really positive in the main that people are seeing the possibility to kind of move in a different direction. The only thing I would love to see is a little bit less of the judgment and the righteousness around it. There's a little bit too much for me of the, like, oh, yeah. I'm going here and, and I'm condemning where I've come from. And there's just, there's like, I think there's a, a, there's a lot more room and scope for more compassion in that. And, and, uh, and I would prefer for people to point to where they're going and be like, I'm going here because this is what I see. And just put a full stop on it. And because I think it'll be, I think it'll make for a more enjoyable experience for people to be able to just sit with their choice and to be like, oh, I'm going here because I choose to go here because it's what I see. Full stop. It feels much better. And, you know, because when we feel the need to justify it by making someone else, putting someone else in a poor light, it really only hurts ourselves. It, it has the possibility to hurt them because they, can, they might internalize it in a way that could be even more damaging than people realize. But for the person, and I would just say for anyone like contemplating or finding themselves in a situation where they're leading themselves off, and maybe a little bit against the grain sometimes or whatever, would be sit comfortably in your choice and just put a full stop on it. It will feel, you'll feel much better. And it, you will feel much better and you inoculate yourself from doing accidental harm by feeling the need to kind of throw someone else into the shade. And, uh, and I'm just going to say, I say that from a position of real experience. Like I've, I know from personal experience of, uh, how that feels and of having someone say to me, Hey, Alan, like you don't need to blow out someone else's candle in order for yours to burn brightly. And I think that's where I just, because that was said to me so brilliantly by someone. Um, and since then I've been like, wow, that's such a gift. And I think as a, as a, as a, you know, society at large, there's something meaningful in the ability to move to a better place without move to a different place or a different direction without leaving some marks on, on the place you've come from. Yeah, I love that. Uh, yeah, you should never, ever blow out anybody's candle. You, you ran an experiment and you took some wonderful learnings and you exercised free will. Simple as that. So, let's, uh, so cool. So that's a great place to end. So um, I guess all that remains is, uh, well, thank you, Matteo, for an awesome question because I thought, think that took us into some really interesting places. And um, 
And I guess the question I'll ask you is, what is your bumper sticker for life after this session? Uh, I'm going to go with the one that comes to mind. Um, my bumper sticker for life would be, I stink sometimes, and that's okay. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Okay, brother. Well, I think that's it. So it's been a cool exploration. Really enjoyed it. Hope everyone listening has gotten some nuggets out of it. And what I would invite people, we would love more questions. So if you are listening to this, uh, please pop a question in the comments in whatever platform that you're listening or watching this on. Or feel free to drop us a question and you can find us on like LinkedIn. It's probably the easiest place to just go in, send us a message with a question um, that you'd love us to answer on this podcast. Uh, until next time, it's goodbye and thank you for listening from me. And I'll leave the closing remarks to Billows. Yep. Thank you, everybody. We'd love to hear from you. And till next time, have fun, experiment. And uh, don't blow out anybody's candle.